0: Hello dear listeners, and welcome to Sci-Fi Tales, the podcast where we bring you stories of science fiction and fantasy from around the world. I'm your host, Scheherazadeh, and tonight I have a new tale for you. It's called Nureddin and the Fair Persian. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Balsora was the capital of a kingdom long tributary to the caliph. During the time of the caliph Harun al-Rashid, the king of Balsora, who was his cousin, was called Zinabi. Not thinking one vizier enough for the administration of his estates, he had two, named Kakan and Sawi. Kakan was kind, generous, and liberal, and took pleasure in obliging, as far as in him lay, those who had business with him throughout the entire kingdom. There was no one who did not esteem and praise him as he deserved. Sawi was quite a different character, and repelled everyone with whom he came in contact. He was always gloomy, and in spite of his great riches, so miserly that he denied himself even the necessaries of life. What made him particularly detested was the great aversion he had to Kakan, of whom he never ceased to speak evil to the king. One day, while the king amused himself. Talking with his two viziers and other members of the council, the conversation turned on female slaves. While some declared that it sufficed for a slave to be beautiful, others, and Kakan was among the number, maintained that beauty alone was not enough, but that it must be accompanied by wit, wisdom, modesty, and, if possible, knowledge. The king not only declared himself to be of this opinion, but charged Kakan. To procure him a slave, who should fulfil all these conditions. Sa'oui, who had been of the opposite side, and was jealous of the honour done to Kakan, said, Sire, it will be very difficult to find a slave as accomplished as your majesty desires, and if she is to be found, she will be cheap if she costs less than ten thousand gold pieces. Sa'oui, answered the king, you seem to find that a very great sum, for you it may be so, but not for me. And forthwith, he ordered his Grand Treasurer, who was present, to send 10,000 gold pieces to Kakan for the purchase of the slave. As soon then, as Kakan returned home, he sent for the dealers in female slaves, and charged them directly, they had found such a one as he described to inform him. They promised to do their utmost, and not a day passed that they did not bring a slave for his inspection. But none were found without some defect. At length, early one morning, while Kakan was on his way to the king’s palace, a dealer, throwing himself in his way, announced eagerly that a Persian merchant, arrived late the previous evening, had a slave to sell whose wit and wisdom were equal to her incomparable beauty. Kakan, overjoyed at this news, gave orders that the slave should be brought for his inspection on his return from the palace. The dealer appearing at the appointed hour, Kakan found the slave beautiful beyond his expectations and immediately gave her the name of the Fair Persian. Being a man of great wisdom and learning, he perceived in the short conversation he had with her that he would seek in vain another slave to surpass her in any of the qualities required by the king and therefore asked the dealer what price the merchant put upon her. Sir, was the answer. For less than 10,000 gold pieces, he will not let her go. He declares that, what with masters for her instruction, and for bodily exercises, not to speak of clothing and nourishment, he has already spent that sum upon her. She is in every way fit to be the slave of a king. She plays every musical instrument. She sings, she dances, she makes verses. In fact, there is no accomplishment in which she does not excel. Kakan, who was better able to judge of her merits than the dealer, wishing to bring the matter to a conclusion, sent for the merchant, and said to him, It is not for myself that I wish to buy your slave, but for the king. Her price, however, is too high. Sir, replied the merchant, I should esteem it an honour to present her to his majesty. Did I become a merchant to do such a thing? I ask no more than the sum it has cost me to make her such as she is. Hakan, not wishing to bargain, immediately had the sum counted out, and given to the merchant, who before withdrawing said, Sir, as she is destined for the king, I would have you observe that she is extremely tired with the long journey, and before presenting her to his majesty, you would do well to keep her a fortnight in your own house, and to see that a little care is bestowed upon her. The sun has tanned her complexion, but when she has been two or three times to the bath, and is fittingly dressed, you will see how much her beauty will be increased. Kakan thanked the merchant for his advice and determined to follow it. He gave the beautiful Persian an apartment near to that of his wife, whom he charged to treat her as befitting a lady destined for the king and to order for her the most magnificent garments. Before bidding adieu to the fair Persian, he said to her, No happiness can be greater than what I have procured for you. Judge for yourself, you now belong to the king. I have, however, to warn you of one thing. I have a son, who though not wanting in sense, is young, foolish and headstrong, and I charge you to keep him at a distance. The Persian thanked him for his advice, and promised to profit by it. Nuruddin Fall, so the vizier's son was named, went freely in and out of his mother's apartments. He was young, well made and agreeable and had the gift of charming all with whom he came in contact. As soon as he saw the beautiful Persian, though aware that she was destined for the king, he let himself be carried away by her charms, and was determined at once to use every means in his power to retain her for himself. The Persian was equally captivated by Nurudan, and said to herself, ''The vizier does me too great honour in buying me for the king. I should esteem myself very happy, if he would give me to his son. Naruddin availed himself of every opportunity to gaze upon her beauty, to talk and laugh with her, and never would have left her side if his mother had not forced him. Some time having elapsed, on account of the long journey, since the beautiful Persian had been to the bath, five or six days after her purchase, the vizier's wife gave orders that the bath should be heated for her, and that her own female slaves should attend her there and afterwards should array her in a magnificent dress that had been prepared for her. Her bathing completed, the beautiful Persian came to present herself to the vizier's wife, who hardly recognised her. So greatly was her beauty increased. Kissing her hand, the beautiful slave said, Madam, I do not know how you find me in this dress that you have had prepared for me. Your women assure me that it suits me so well that they hardly knew me. If it is the truth they tell me, and not flattery, it is to you I owe the transformation. My daughter, answered the vizier's wife, they do not flatter you. I myself hardly recognised you. The improvement is not due to the dress alone, but largely to the beautifying effects of the bath. I am so struck by its results that I would try it on myself. Acting forthwith on this decision, she ordered two little slaves during her absence to watch over the beautiful Persian and not to allow Nuruddin to enter should he come. She had no sooner gone than he arrived, and not finding his mother in her apartment, would have sought her in that of the Persian. The two little slaves barred the entrance, saying that his mother had given orders that he was not to be admitted. Taking each by an arm, he put them out of the anteroom and shut the door. Then they rushed to the bath, informing their mistress with shrieks and tears that Noureddin had driven them away by force and gone in. This news caused great consternation to the lady, who, dressing herself as quickly as possible, hastened to the apartment of the fair Persian to find that Noureddin had already gone out. Much astonished to see the vizier's wife enter in tears, the Persian asked what misfortune had happened. What? exclaimed the lady. You ask me that, knowing that my son Nuruddin has been alone with you. But, madam, inquired the Persian, what harm is there in that? How? Has my husband not told you that you are destined for the king? Certainly, but Nuruddin has just been to tell me that his father has changed his mind and has bestowed me upon him. I believed him, and so great is my affection for Nuruddin that I would willingly pass my life with him. Would to heaven, exclaimed the wife of the vizier, that what you say were true, but Nuruddin has deceived you, and his father will sacrifice him in vengeance for the wrong he has done. So saying, she wept bitterly, and all her slaves wept with her. Kakan, entering shortly after this, was much astonished to find his wife and her slaves in tears and the beautiful Persian greatly perturbed. He inquired the cause, but for some time, no answer was forthcoming. When his wife was at length sufficiently calm to inform him of what had happened, his rage and mortification knew no bounds. Wringing his hands and rending his beard, he exclaimed, Wretched son, you destroy not only your, but your father. The king will shed not only thy blood, but mine. His wife tried to console him, saying, Do not torment thyself. With the sale of my jewels, I will obtain ten thousand gold pieces, and with this sum, you will buy another slave. Do not suppose, replied her husband, that it is the loss of the money that affects me. My honour is at stake, and that is more precious to me than all my wealth. You know that Sawi is my mortal enemy. He will relate all this to the king, and you will see the consequences that will ensue. My lord, said his wife, I am quite aware of Sawi's baseness and that he is capable of playing this malicious trick on you. But how can he or anyone else know what takes place in this house? Even if you are suspected and the king accuses you, you have only to say that, after examining the slave, you did not find her worthy of his majesty. Reassure yourself and send to the dealers, saying that you are not satisfied. ...and wish them to find you another slave. This advice appearing reasonable, Kakan decided to follow it... ...but his wrath against his son did not abate. Nuruddin dared not appear all that day... ...and fearing to take refuge with his usual associates... ...in case his father should seek him there. He spent the day in a secluded garden where he was not known. He did not return home till after his father had gone to bed... ...and went out early next morning before the vizier awoke, and these precautions he kept up during an entire month. His mother, though knowing very well that he returned to the house every evening, dare not ask her husband to pardon him. At length she took courage and said, My lord, I know that a son could not act more basely towards his father than Nur has done towards you, but after all, will you now pardon him? Do you not consider the harm you may be doing yourself, and fear that malicious people... "'seeking the cause of your estrangement, may guess the real one.' "'Madam,' replied the vizier, "'what you say is very just, "'but I cannot pardon Nureddin before I have mortified him as he deserves. "'He will be sufficiently punished,' answered the lady, "'if you do as I suggest. "'In the evening, when he returns home, "'lie in wait for him and pretend that you will slay him. "'I will come to his aid.' and while pointing out that you only yield his life at my supplications, you can force him to take the beautiful Persian on any conditions you please. Kharkhan agreed to follow this plan, and everything took place as arranged. On Nureddin's return, Kharkhan pretended to be about to slay him, but yielding to his wife's intercession, said to his son, You owe your life to your mother. I pardon you on her intercession." and on the conditions that you take the beautiful Persian for your wife and not your slave, that you never sell her, nor put her away. Nuruddin, not hoping for so great indulgence, thanked his father and vowed to do as he desired. Kakan was at great pains frequently to speak to the king of the difficulties attending the commission. He had given him, but some whispers of what had actually taken place did reach Sawi's ears. More than a year after these events, the minister took a chill, leaving the bath while still heated to go out on important business. This resulted in inflammation of the lungs, which rapidly increased. The vizier, feeling that his end was at hand, sent for Nuruddin and charged him with his dying breath, never to part with the beautiful Persian. Shortly afterwards, he expired, leaving universal regret throughout the kingdom. Rich and poor Alike followed him to the grave. Nauratin showed every mark of the deepest grief, at his father's death, and for long refused to see anyone. At length a day came when one of his friends being admitted urged him strongly to be consoled and to resume his former place in society. This advice Nauradin was not slow to follow, and soon he formed little society of ten young men all about his own age with whom he spent all his time in continual feasting and merrymaking. Sometimes the fair Persian consented to appear at these festivities, but she disapproved of this lavish expenditure and did not scruple to warn Nuruddin of the probable consequences. He, however, only laughed at her advice, saying that his father had always kept him in too great constraint and that now he rejoiced at his newfound liberty. What added to the confusion in his affairs was that he refused to look into his accounts with his steward, sending him away every time he appeared with his book. See only that I live well, he said, and do not disturb me about anything else. Not only did Nur friends constantly partake of his hospitality, but in every way they took advantage of his generosity. Everything of his that they admired, whether land, houses, baths, ...or any other source of his revenue... ...he immediately bestowed on them. In vain the Persian protested against the wrong he did himself. He continued to scatter with the same lavish hand. Throughout one entire year... Nuruddin did nothing but amuse himself... ...and dissipate the wealth his father had taken such pains to acquire. The year had barely elapsed... ...when one day, as they sat at table... ...there came a knock at the door. The slaves having been sent away... Nuruddin went to open it himself. One of his friends had Risen at the same time, but Noradin was before him, and finding the intruder, to be the steward, he went out and closed the door. The friend, curious to hear what passed between them, hid himself behind the hangings, and heard the following words. My lord, said the steward, I beg a thousand pardons for interrupting you, but what I have long foreseen has taken place. Nothing remains of the sums you gave me for your expenses, and all other sources of income are also at end, having been transferred by you to others. If you wish me to remain in your service, furnish me with the necessary funds, else I must withdraw. So great was Noureddin's consternation that he had not a word to say in reply. The friend, who had been listening behind the curtain, immediately hastened to communicate the news to the rest of the company. If this is so, they said, we must cease to come here. Nuruddin re-entering at that moment, they plainly saw, in spite of his efforts to dissemble, that what they had heard was the truth. One by one they rose, and each with a different excuse left the room, till presently he found himself alone, though little suspecting the resolution his friends had taken. Then, seeing the beautiful Persian he confided to her the statement of the steward with many expressions of regret for his own carelessness. Had I but followed your advice, beautiful Persian, he said, all this would not have happened, but at least I have this consolation that I have spent my fortune in the company of friends who will not desert me in an hour of need. Tomorrow I will go to them and among them they will lend me a sum sufficient to start in some business. Accordingly, Next morning, early, Nureddin went to seek his ten friends, who all lived in the same street. Knocking at the door of the first and chief, the slave who opened it left him to wait in a hall while he announced his visit to his master. Nureddin, he heard him exclaim, quite audibly, tell him every time he calls that I am not at home. The same thing happened at the second door, and also at the third, and so on with all the ten. Nuruddin, much mortified, recognised too late that he had confided in false friends who abandoned him in his hour of need. Overwhelmed with grief, he sought consolation from the beautiful Persian. Alas, my lord, she said, at last you are convinced of the truth of what I foretold. There is now no other resource left but to sell your slaves and your furniture. First, then he sold the slaves and subsisted for a time on the proceeds. After that, the furniture was sold, and as much of it was valuable, it sufficed for some time. Finally, this resource also came to an end, and again he sought counsel from the beautiful Persian. My lord, she said, I know that the late vizier, your father, bought me for ten thousand gold pieces, and though I have diminished in value since, I should still fetch a large sum. Do not therefore hesitate to sell me, and with the money you obtain." Go and establish yourself in business in some distant town. Charming Persian, answered Nureddin, how could I be guilty of such baseness? I would die rather than part from you, whom I love better than my life. My lord, she replied, I am well aware of your love for me, which is only equalled by mine for you, but a cruel necessity obliges us to seek the only remedy. Nureddin, convinced at length of the truth of her words, yielded, and reluctantly led her to the slave market, where, showing her to a dealer named Hagi Hassan, he inquired her value. Taking them into a room apart, Hagi Hassan exclaimed as soon as she had unveiled, "'My Lord, is not this the slave "'your father bought for 10,000 pieces?' On learning that it was so, he promised to obtain the highest possible price for her. Leaving the beautiful Persian shut up in the room alone, he went out to seek the slave merchants, announcing to them that he had found the pearl among slaves and asking them to come and put a value upon her. As soon as they saw her, they agreed that less than 4,000 gold pieces could not be asked. Hagi Hassan, then closing the door upon her, began to offer her for sale, calling out, Who will bid 4,000 gold pieces for the Persian slave? Before any of the merchants had bid, Sawi happened to pass that way and judging that it must be a slave of extraordinary beauty, rode up to Hagi Hassan and desired to see her. Now it was not the custom to show a slave to a private bidder, but as no one dared to disobey the vizier, his request was granted. As soon as Sawi saw the Persian, he was so struck by her beauty that he immediately wished to possess her, and not knowing that she belonged to Nureddin, he desired Hagi Hassan to send for the owner to conclude the bargain at once. Hagi Hassan then sought Nuridi and told him that his slave was going far below her value and that if Saoui bought her, he was capable of not paying the money. What you must do, he said, is to pretend that you had no real intention of selling your slave and only swore you would in a fit of anger against her. When I present her to Saoui, as if with your consent you must step in, and with blows begin to lead her away. Nureddin did, as Hagi Hassan advised, to the great wrath of Sawi, who, riding straight at him, endeavoured to take the beautiful Persian from him by force. Nureddin, letting her go, seized Sawi's horse by the bridle and, encouraged by the applause of the bystanders, dragged him to the ground, beat him severely and left him in the gutter, streaming with blood. Then, taking the beautiful Persian, he returned home amid the acclamation of the people, who detested Sao'i so much that they would neither interfere in his behalf nor allow his slaves to protect him. Covered from head to foot with mire and streaming with blood, he rose, and leaning on two of his slaves, went straight to the palace, where he demanded an audience of the king to whom he related what had taken place in these words. May it please your majesty I had gone to the slave market to buy myself a cook. While there, I heard a slave being offered for 4,000 pieces. Asking to see her, I found she was of incomparable beauty and was being sold by Nureddin, the son of your late vizier, to whom your majesty will remember giving a sum of 10,000 gold pieces for the purchase of a slave. This is the identical slave, whom instead of bringing to your majesty, he gave to his own son. Since the death of his father, this Nuruddin has run through his entire fortune, has sold all his possessions, and is now reduced to selling the slave. Calling him to me, I said, Nuruddin, I will give you ten thousand gold pieces for your slave, whom I will present to the king. I will interest him at the same time in your behalf, and this will be worth much more to you than what extra money you might obtain from the merchants. Bad old man, he exclaimed. Rather than sell my slave to you, I would give her to a Jew. But Nuruddin, I protested, you do not consider that in speaking thus you wrong the king, to whom your father owed everything. My protest only irritated him the more. Throwing himself on me like a madman, he tore me from my horse, beat me to his heart's content, and left me in the state your majesty sees. So saying, Sawi turned aside his head, and wept bitterly. The king's wrath was kindled against Nuruddin. He ordered the captain of the guard to take with him 40 men to pillage Nuruddin's house, to raise it to the ground, and to bring Nuruddin and the slave to him. A doorkeeper named Sangiar, who had been a slave of Kakans, hearing this order given, slipped out of the king's apartment and hastened to warn Nuruddin to take flight instantly with the beautiful Persian then, presenting him with 40 gold pieces, he disappeared before Nuruddin had time to thank him. As soon, then, as the fair Persian had put on her veil, they fled together and had the good fortune to get out of the town without being observed. At the mouth of the Euphrates, they found a ship just about to start for Baghdad. They embarked, and immediately the anchor was raised, and they set sail. When the captain of the guard reached Noureddin’s house... He caused his soldiers to burst, open the door, and to enter by force. But no trace was to be found of Noradin and his slave. Nor could the neighbours give any information about them. When the king heard that they had escaped, he issued a proclamation that a reward of 1,000 gold pieces would be given to whoever would bring him Noradin and the slave. But that, on the contrary, whoever hid them would be severely punished. Meanwhile, Nureddin and the fair Persian had safely reached Baghdad. When the vessel had come to an anchor, they paid five gold pieces for their passage and went ashore. Never having been in Baghdad before, they did not know where to seek a lodging. Wandering along the banks of the Tigris, they skirted a garden enclosed by a high wall. The gate was shut, but in front of it was an open vestibule with a sofa on either side. Here, said Nureddin, let us pass the night and reclining on the sofas, they soon fell asleep. Now this garden belonged to the Caliph. In the middle of it was a vast pavilion, whose superb saloon had 80 windows, each window having a luster, lit solely when the Caliph spent the evening there. Only the doorkeeper lived there, an old soldier named Shai Ibrahim, who had strict orders to be very careful whom he admitted and never to allow anyone to sit on the sofas by the door. It happened that evening that he had gone out on an errand. When he came back and saw two persons asleep on the sofas, he was about to drive them out with blows. But drawing nearer, he perceived that they were a handsome young man and beautiful young woman, and decided to awake them by gentler means. Nuruddin, on being awoke, told the old man that they were strangers and merely wished to pass the night there. Come with me said Sheikh Ibrahim I will lodge you better and will show you a magnificent garden belonging to me So saying the doorkeeper led the way into the caliph's garden the beauties of which filled them with wonder and amazement Nuruddin took out two gold pieces and giving them to Shaykh Ibrahim said I beg you to get us something to eat that we may make merry together Being very avaricious Shaykh Ibrahim determined to spend only the tenth part of the money and to keep the rest to himself. While he was gone, Nuradin and the Persian wandered through the gardens and went up the white marble staircase of the pavilion as far as the locked door of the saloon. On the return of Shay Ibrahim, they begged him to open it and to allow them to enter and admire the magnificence within. Consenting, he brought not only the key but a light and immediately unlocked the door, Nuradin and the Persian entering were dazzled with the magnificence they beheld. The paintings and furniture were of astonishing beauty, and between each window was a silver arm holding a candle. Sheikh Ibrahim spread the table in front of a sofa, and all three ate together. When they had finished eating, Nur asked the old man to bring them a bottle of wine. ''Heaven forbid,'' said Sheikh Ibrahim, ''that I should come in contact with wine.'' I who have four times made the pilgrimage to Mecca and have renounced wine forever. You would, however, do us a great service in procuring us some, said Nur ad You need not touch it yourself. Take the ass which is tied to the gate, lead it to the nearest wine shop, and ask some passer-by to order two jars of wine. Have them put in the ass's panniers and drive him before you. Here are two pieces of gold for the expenses. At sight of the gold, Shai Ibrahim set off at once to execute the commission. On his return, Nureddin said, We have still need of cups to drink from, and of fruit, if you can procure us some. Shai Ibrahim disappeared again, and soon returned with a table spread, with cups of gold and silver, and every sort of beautiful fruit. Then he withdrew, in spite of repeated invitations to remain. Nureddin and the beautiful Persian, finding the wine excellent, Drank of it freely, and while drinking, they sang. Both had fine voices, and Shay Ibrahim listened to them with great pleasure. First from a distance, then he drew nearer, and finally put his head in at the door. Nureddin, seeing him, called to him to come in and keep them company. At first the old man declined, but was persuaded to enter the room, to sit down on the edge of the sofa nearest the door, and at last to draw closer, and to seat himself by the beautiful Persian, who urged him so persistently to drink her health, that at length he yielded and took the cup she offered. Now the old man only made a pretense of renouncing wine. He frequented wine shops like other people, and had taken none of the precautions Nuruddin had proposed. Having once yielded, he was easily persuaded to take a second cup and a third, and so on, till he no longer knew what he was doing. Till near midnight they continued drinking, laughing and singing together. About that time, the Persian, perceiving that the room was lit by only one miserable tallow candle, asked Sheikh Ibrahim to light some of the beautiful candles in the silver arms. Light them yourself, answered the old man. You are younger than I, but let five or six be enough. She did not stop, however. Till she had lit all the eighty, but Shai Ibrahim was not conscious of this. And when, soon after that, Nuruddin proposed to have some of the lustres lit, he answered, You are more capable of lighting them than I, but not more than three. Nuruddin, far from contenting himself with three, lit all and opened all the eighty windows. The Caliph Harun al Rashid, chancing at that moment to open a window in the saloon of his palace, looking on the garden, was surprised to see the pavilion brilliantly illuminated. Calling the Grand Vizier, Giafar, he said to him, Negligent Vizier, look at the pavilion and tell me why it is lit up when I am not there. When the Vizier saw that it was as the Caliph said, he trembled with fear and immediately invented an excuse. Commander of the Faithful, he said, I must tell you that four or five days ago, Sheikh Ibrahim told me that he wished to have an assembly of the ministers of his mosque and asked permission to hold it in the pavilion. I granted his request, but forgot since to mention it to your majesty. Giafar replied the caliph, you have committed three faults first in giving the permission, second in not mentioning it to me, and third in not investigating the matter more closely. For punishment, I condemn you to spend the rest of the night with me in company of these worthy people, while I dress myself as a citizen, go and disguise yourself, and then come with me. When they reached the garden gate, they found it open to the great indignation of the caliph. The door of the pavilion being also open, he went softly upstairs and looked in at the half-closed door of the saloon. Great was his surprise to see Shay Ibrahim, whose sobriety he had never doubted, drinking and singing with a young man and a beautiful lady. The caliph, before giving way to his anger, determined to watch and see who the people were and what they did. Presently, Shay Ibrahim asked the beautiful Persian if anything were wanting to complete her enjoyment of the evening. If only, she said, I had an instrument upon which I might play. Shey Ibrahim immediately took a lute from a cupboard and gave it to the Persian, who began to play on it, singing the while with such skill and taste that the caliph was enchanted. When she ceased, he went softly downstairs and said to the vizier, Never have I heard a finer voice, nor the lute better played. I am determined to go in and make her play to me. Commander of the faithful, said the vizier, If Shai Ibrahim recognises you, he will die of fright. I should be sorry for that, answered the caliph, and I am going to take steps to prevent it. Wait here till I return. Now the caliph had caused a bend in the river to form a lake in his garden. There, the finest fish in the tigris were to be found, but fishing was strictly forbidden. It happened that night, however, that a fisherman had taken advantage of the gate being open to go in and cast his nets. He was just about to draw them when he saw the caliph approaching. Recognising him at once, in spite of his disguise, he threw himself at his feet, imploring forgiveness. Fear nothing, said the caliph, only rise up and draw thy nets. The fisherman did as he was told, and produced five or six fine fish, of which the caliph took the two largest. Then he desired the fisherman to change clothes with him and in a few minutes the caliph was transformed into a fisherman even to the shoes and the turban. Taking the two fish in his hand he returned to the vizier who not recognising him would have sent him about his business. Leaving the vizier at the foot of the stairs the caliph went up and knocked at the door of the saloon. Nuruddin opened it and the caliph standing on the threshold said "Shey Ibrahim I am the fisher Karim. Seeing that you are feasting with your friends, I bring you these fish. Nuruddin and the Persian said that when the fishes were properly cooked and dressed, they would gladly eat of them. The caliph then returned to the vizier, and they set to work in Shay Ibrahim's house to cook the fish, of which they made so tempting a dish that Nuruddin and the fair Persian ate of it with great relish. When they had finished, Nuruddin took 30 gold pieces, all that remained of what Sangià had given him, and presented them to the caliph, who, thanking him, asked as a further favours if the lady would play him one piece on the lute. The Persian gladly consented and sang and played so as to delight the caliph. Nuruddin, in the habit of giving to others whatever they admired, said, "'Fisherman, as she pleases you so much, take her. She is yours.' The fair Persian, astounded that he should wish to part from her, took her lute, and with tears in her eyes sang her reproaches to its music. The caliph, still in the character of fisherman, said to him, Sir, I perceive that this fair lady is your slave. Oblige me, I beg you, by relating your history. Nouraddin willingly granted this request, and recounted everything from the purchase of the slave down to the present moment. And where do you go now? asked the caliph. Wherever the hand of Allah leads me, said Nuruddin. Then, if you will listen to me, said the caliph, you will immediately return to Balsora. I will give you a letter to the king, which will ensure you a good reception from him. It is unheard of, said Nuruddin, that a fisherman should be in correspondence with a king. Let not that astonish you, answered the caliph. We studied together and have always remained the best of friends, though fortune, while making him a king, left me a humble fisherman. The caliph then took a sheet of paper and wrote the following letter, at the top of which he put in very small characters, this formula to show that he must be implicitly obeyed. In the name of the most merciful God. Letter of the Caliph Harun al-Rashid to the King of Balsora. Harun al-Rashid, son of Mahdi, sends this letter to Muhammad Zinebi, his cousin. As soon as Nuruddin, son of the Vizier Khaqan, bearer of this letter, has given it to thee, and thou hast read it, take off thy royal mantle, put it on his shoulders, and seat him in thy place without fail. Farewell. The caliph then gave this letter to Nuruddin, who immediately set off. With only what little money he possessed, When Sangya came to his assistance, the beautiful Persian, inconsolable at his departure, sank on a sofa bathed in tears. When Nuruddin had left the room, Shaykh Ibrahim, who had hitherto kept silence, said, Kerim, for two miserable fish thou hast received a purse and a slave. I tell thee, I will take the slave, and as to the purse, if it contains silver, you may keep one piece, if gold... Then I will take it all and give you what copper pieces I have in my purse. Now here, it must be related that when the caliph went upstairs with the plate of fish, he ordered the vizier to hasten to the palace and bring back four slaves bearing a change of clothing, and the slaves should wait outside the pavilion till the caliph should clap his hands. Still impersonating the fisherman, the caliph answered, Shai Ibrahim, Whatever is in the purse, I will share equally with you. But as to the slave, I will keep her for myself. If you do not agree to these conditions, you shall have nothing. The old man, furious at this insolence, as he considered it, took a cup and threw it at the caliph, who easily avoided a missile from the hand of a drunken man. It hit against the wall and broke into a thousand pieces. Sheikh Ibrahim, still more enraged, then went out to fetch a stick. The caliph, at that moment, clapped his hands, and the vizier and the four slaves entering took off the fisherman's dress and put on him that which they had brought. When Shai Ibrahim returned, a thick stick in his hand, the caliph was seated on his throne, and nothing remained of the fisherman but his clothes in the middle of the room. Throwing himself on the ground at the caliph's feet, he said, Commander of the Faithful, your miserable slave has offended you and craves forgiveness. The caliph came down from his throne and said, Rise, I forgive thee. Then turning to the Persian, he said, Fair lady, now you know who I am. Learn also that I have sent Nuruddin to Balsora to be king, and as soon as all necessary preparations are made, I will send you there to be queen. Meanwhile, I will give you an apartment in my palace where you will be treated with all honour. At this, the beautiful Persian took courage, and the caliph was as good as his word, recommending her to the care of his wife Sobida. Nuruddin made all haste on his journey to Balsora, and on his arrival, there went straight to the palace of the king, of whom he demanded an audience. It was immediately granted, and holding the letter high above his head, he forced his way through the crowd. While the king read the letter, he changed colour. He would instantly have executed the caliph's order. But first, he showed the letter to Sawi, whose interests were equally at stake with his own. Pretending that he wished to read it a second time, Sawi turned aside as if to seek a better light. Unperceived by anyone, he tore off the formula from the top of the letter, put it to his mouth and swallowed it. Then, turning to the king, he said... Your Majesty has no need to obey this letter. The writing is indeed that of the Caliph, but the formula is absent. Besides, he has not sent an express with the patent without which the letter is useless. Leave all to me and I will take the consequences. The King not only listened to the persuasions of Sawi, but gave Nuruddin into his hands. Such a severe foot-whipping was first administered to him that he was left more dead than alive then Sawi threw him into the darkest and deepest dungeon and fed him only on bread and water. After ten days, Saui determined to put an end to Noureddin’s life, but dared not without the king's authority. To gain this end, he loaded several of his own slaves with rich gifts and presented himself at their head to the king, saying that they were from the new king on his coronation. "'What?' said the king. "'Is that wretch still alive?' Go and beheed him at once, I authorise you. Sire, said sao I thank your majesty for the justice you do me. I would further beg, as Nureddin publicly affronted me, that the execution might be in front of the palace, and that it might be proclaimed throughout the city, so that no one may be ignorant of it. The king granted these requests, and the announcement caused universal grief for the memory of Nureddin's father, was still fresh in the hearts of his people. Sawi, accompanied by 20 of his own slaves, went to the prison to fetch Nureddin, whom he mounted on a wretched horse without a saddle. Arrived at the palace, Sawi went in to the king, leaving Nureddin in the square, hemmed in not only by Sawi's slaves, but by the royal guard, who had great difficulty in preventing the people from rushing in and rescuing Nureddin. So great was the indignation against Sawi that if anyone had set the example, he would have been stoned on his way through the streets. Sawi, who witnessed the agitation of the people from the windows of the king's privy chambers, called to the executioner to strike at once. The king, however, ordered him to delay. Not only was he jealous of Sawi's interference, but he had another reason. A troop of horsemen was seen, at that moment riding at full gallop towards the squarry. Saoui suspected who they might be and urged the king to give the signal for the execution without delay, but this the king refused to do till he knew who the horsemen were. Now they were the vizier Giafar and his suite arriving at full speed from Baghdad. For several days after Nur departure, with the letter, the caliph had forgotten to send the express with the patent without which the letter was useless. Hearing a beautiful voice one day in the women's part of the palace uttering lamentations, he was informed that it was the voice of the fair Persian and suddenly calling to mind the patent, he sent for Jafar and ordered him to make for Balsora with the utmost speed, if Nur ad-Din were dead, to hang Sa'awi, if he were still alive, to bring him at once to Baghdad along with the king and Sa'awi. Jiafar rode at full speed through the square and alighted at the steps of the palace, where the king came to greet him. The vizier's first question was whether Nareddin was still alive. The king replied that he was, and he was immediately led forth, though bound hand and foot. By the vizier's orders, his bonds were immediately undone, and Saoui was tied with the same cords. Next day, Jiafar returned to Baghdad, bearing with him the king, Saoui and nur When the caliph heard what treatment nur had received, he authorised him to behead Sawi with his own hands, but he declined to shed the blood of his enemy, who was forthwith handed over to the executioner. The caliph also desired nur to reign over Balsora, but this too he declined, saying that after what had passed there, he preferred never to return, but to enter the service of the caliph. He became one of his most intimate courtiers and lived long in great happiness with the fair Persian. As to the king, the caliph contented himself with sending him back to Balsora, with the recommendation to be more careful in future in the choice of his vizier. Thank you for listening, dear listeners. I hope you liked my tale. If you did, please follow me on Sci-Fi Tales to listen to more tales every week. You can also share your thoughts and opinions on our social media, I appreciate your feedback and support. Don't miss the next episode of Sci-Fi Tales, the show where we bring you stories of science fiction and fantasy. Good night and see you soon.